God saving, investing, financial literacy, wealth on this video. We're going to unpack all of that. And we're going to get to the crux of this issue. Did Jesus in the New Testament, in the gospel, specifically in the gospel of, of, of Matthew, forbid saving? I'm going after all of the hard verses. This might be the most exhaustive linear talk I've ever done about money. And I recommend you watch until the end because the conclusion may shock you. But before we get into that, guys, my name is Ruslan. We have a free how to study the Bible course in the description of this video, or you can go to mastermydevo.com, getting you more clarity, more context, more consistency, and ultimately more application for more life change. Completely free course, bite-sized pieces on how to study the Bible. Let's get into this study. Okay, this is what happens. Whenever I talk about money, whenever I talk about financial literacy, people reference this passage, which is Matthew chapter 6 verse 19 and this is the passage that always comes up this is jesus talking he says do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break into break in and steal but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moth and uh, vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is there your heart will be also whenever we talk about money whenever i'll do a thing about going debt free whenever I, I i do anything like that people always pull up and they always say well that's it the discussion is settled and then they'll go into first timothy uh 6 10 which many of us are familiar of this passage for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil and some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows those two verses are usually on the lips of legalistic larry brother ruslan i i understand that you made a video telling people they need to save money save an emergency fund they need to get out of debt and they need to be responsible now as your brother brother i understand that you've been pulling scriptures out of context and i just need to firmly rebuke you jesus was clear the case is shut do not, do not, do not store up treasure for yourself on earth. Case closed, brother. Please accept my warm rebuke. Legalistic Larry shows up, and, and that's usually the energy that he has. Now, on this video, we're going to go and we're going to unpack all of it, and, 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 and we're going to get to, to the heart of this, because I think there's quite a few passages that tie into this, okay? It is one of these contentious issues, and I made a video about the poverty and prosperity gospel. That's where this video is inspired from, and there's a lot of like, don't start, and, and, and as a rule, be very careful to not use one or two verses to form an entire theology. Jesus knew the scriptures. Jesus knew all of the scriptures, okay? He inspired all of the scriptures. So it's very unlikely that Jesus would then say something in contradiction of the scriptures. And I'm going to tell you guys what how those verses to me are accurately applied and what they mean. But before we do that, we got to jump into Proverbs because this is the most obvious passage. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6. This says, 
Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores up its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands, and poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. So think of what this is saying. Go to the ant, you sluggard, consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander. It has no boss. It has no one telling it what to do. Yet it stores its provisions in summer when there's abundance, when there's flourishing in the summer, when the crop comes, stirs its provision in summer and gathers its food at harvest. Okay, so it's this ant is tucking away something to the side for a rainy day, squirreling away its provisions and tucking something away for a rainy day. And so people say, well, see, Jesus said, don't start, do not stir up treasure on earth, only store treasure in heaven. So therefore, what does it matter? What does God care about my finances? Well, ignore other obvious passages of scripture and Matthew 25 is the most obvious one. Now I've read this passage before over and over. People say, this isn't about money. God doesn't care about your money. It's not about money. He doesn't care about how you handle money. Well, the talents in Matthew chapter 25 is actually money. It's not like talent. Like I can play a flute right? That's not the kind of talent. It's actually talking about money. Some say it's $4,000. Some say it's multiple years of a livable wage, okay? So the amount talked about here is not a small amount, okay? I've heard it all the way up to hundreds of thousands of dollars, $400,000 is probably the most, and I've also heard it uh, as little as $4,000. Nevertheless, this was literally talking about money, and this is one of the most controversial passages, depending on how you look at it, and people think it's exclusively spiritual, but they miss the parable that it goes, not the parable, but it, but they miss the story this parable goes into. So let's just look it over, Matthew chapter 25, verse 14, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. This is Jesus after Matthew 24, after the wise and the foolish virgins not being repair, uh, returned, prepared for the return of the bridegroom. And it go, he goes into this parable. So it's another parable. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Um, I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, and he who also had two talents came forward and said, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servants. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over, I will set you over more. Enter into the joy of your master. Verse 24. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. It's interesting that in this illustration, this servant is calling 
the master a hard man. Why? Because he is gathering where he did not sow, right? And he and he's 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 uh, reaping where he did not sow and gathering where he scattered no seed. That's really interesting, right? So this last servant is saying, "Hey, I buried your talent." So I was afraid. Mm, that's the root. Here's the root. We're getting to the heart of the matter. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here. Have what is yours. But his master answered, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gathered where I scattered no seed? Question mark. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. Woo. But for the one who has not, even what he has, he has will be taken away. And cast a worthless servant into the utter darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Wow. Scary passage. So people read that and go, no, Rusa, you don't understand. That's not about money. That's about Fill in a blank. That's about us utilizing our talent here or utilizing the gifts that God has given us or utilizing all these other things. And I would say, yes, yeah, all about that and more. That passage is about your time, your talent, and treasure, okay? If you're born again in Christ, your life is not your own. You are now his. You belong to him. And everything he's entrusted you with, the time, talent, treasure, skills, everything is, is, is given to you by the master. And you are called to steward it, to manage it, not to bury it. However, in this specific verse, when we see Jesus acknowledging that a wise master and a wise servant, when it comes to money, would at least put the money in the bank and give it some interest so that it can generate some interest for the master. Now, this is the part where no one keeps reading. We stop at verse 30 and we go, oh yeah, that's a nice, cool story Jesus told about talent and treasure and all these different things, but it's really a metaphor, but they miss what comes right after that. Verse 31, when the son of man comes in his glory. So now this is no longer, this is no longer a parable. He's speaking literally to us. When the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. So he's coming, he's separating the shepherd from the sheets. And he will place the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Hmm. Then the righteous will answer him, uh, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or, uh, or thirsty and gave you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them. Truly, I say to you, as you did to the least of these brothers of mine, you did on to me. You know what requires the ability to do all of those things? resource. It requires somebody's money somewhere to have the ability to have extra food, extra clothes, extra time, 
to take care of the least of these. And when you take care of the least of these, according to Jesus in Matthew 25, you're doing it onto the Lord. So we're compartmentalizing and we're saying, no, 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 no. That's not about money, even though the next verse is about people who have abundance of resource and money. <gasps> okay, now here's one of the scariest passages in all of scripture. And I'm going to come back to this idea, but here's one of the scariest passages in all of scripture. And this, and this is going to be a gut check for some of us here today. First uh, Timothy chapter five, we're going to pick up in verse five. He's writing to uh, Timothy who's over this church and there's this dispute amongst these widows. And something interesting happens here. Uh, Timothy is, is dealing with this and Paul gives him some advice. And he says this, the widow who is really in need and left all alone, puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and ask God for help. There's two types of widows here. There's the widow who is really in need and the church needs to help out. And then there's also the, 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 the next kind of widow, verse six, but the widow who lives for pleasure is dead even while she lives. Now, that's just, we could just stop and just park there if we want to get into living for pleasure. The widow who lives for pleasure is dead even while she just lives. If, you, if you're just existing for pleasure, you're dead while you're still alive, walking dead energy, right? But check this out. Verse 7, give these instructions so that no one may be open to blame. You got this dispute amongst these widows. There's these rich widows. There's these rich widows that are just living for pleasure. Then there's these poor widows, and they're trying to figure out how to help in this local church. And check out what he says in verse 8. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives, and especially for their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That one verse right there, in my opinion, is one of the scariest passages in all of Scripture. Let's look at verse 9. No widow may be put on the wait list of widows unless she is over 60, has been faithful to her husband, and is well known for a good deed, such as bringing up children, showing up hospitality, washing the feet of the Lord's people, helping those in trouble, and devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds. And then he goes on as far as the younger widow, do not put them on such list, for when their sensual desires overcome their dedication to Christ, they want to marry, thus they bring judgment on themselves. Okay, so Paul is saying, look, you guys have this dispute. These, there's these older widows that actually need support, and there's these younger widows who are uh, kind of finessing the system a little bit. <laughs> and he's saying, check this out. Um, hey, anyone that doesn't provide for the needs of his family, specifically the needs of his immediate family, is worse than a non-believer and is denied to faith. Then he goes back into talking about the, this, this issue with his widow. Why did he do that? I think it's pretty clear. Paul is saying is, hey, instead of creating this external burden on, on the church to take care of everybody, how about the church just take, takes care of their own families first? Right? How about you take care of your own first? Provide for the needs of your family, specifically your immediate family. Okay? So the expectation for the believer, just so we're clear, is that you provide for the needs of your family and, 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 and your immediate family. And if you don't, you're worse than a non-believer and you've denied the faith. Now, this isn't talking about somebody that's fresh out of high school, doesn't have any useful skills, anything like that. This is talking about someone that identifies as, a, as a, an adult. I'm particularly speaking to men here. Okay? So, the expectation, if you're a man, if you're going to call yourself a man of God, Okay, the expectation is that you're working towards or you are providing for the needs of your family. 
and that you have extra to care for the least of these. Let's go jump back to Matthew 25. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will answer saying, Lord... When did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick in prison and not minister you? Then he will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Now, what I'm not saying is that you're going to hell if you don't take care of people. That's, that's, that, that's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is if we look at all of these verses in context, and I'm going to come back to store up your treasure and what I think that actually means. If you look at what all of these verses mean in context, okay, uh, there's this expectation for the life of the believer to be stable, to take care of their own family, Okay, specifically their immediate family, and also positioned and built to have the extra cloak, to have the extra time, to have the extra food. We go back to the verse of Matthew. The master says, you wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scatter no seed. Then you ought to have invested, then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my, was my own with interest. So Jesus doesn't have an issue with you having your money make money for you. He actually says in this situation, remember, he's the master, the servants are us, it is a parable, but his expectation is that you don't bury your gift, and at the very least, you get some type of return on it. So how does this all make sense? How does this all work together? I don't, I don't understand, Ruslan. How does this all make sense? Well, let's go back to Matthew. What is, what is Jesus talking about? Do not store up treasure on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. And then he says, the heart of this is... Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Huh. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So, as followers of Jesus, our treasure is not our money. Our treasure is where our heart is. Our treasure is serving the serving the Lord. Our treasure is not uh, uh, acquiring material things. There's nothing wrong with owning things. There's only wrong with something owns you. My buddy Jason Mayfield says, when it comes to the whole, you can't serve God and money. And he, he has this great bar. He says, money is a terrible master, but a great servant. Oh, maybe we're, we're getting somewhere. Money, you shouldn't love money. You shouldn't make money your only pursuit. You shouldn't only store up for yourselves uh, uh, things that are treasure and things that are valuable to you. Where's your value coming from? Is it from ministering unto the Lord or is it from money? You shouldn't find your identity in money and things. You should use your money and things to help other people. Right? You will either abuse and use people to acquire money or you will use money to help people. Reject money being your God. You, you can't serve both God and money, right? But money is a means to an end just like anything else, man. Just like anything else. Money is, is a means to an end. Money is the vehicle that a lot of times you need to go and do ministry. The, 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 the vehicle you need to go and build wells in Africa, the vehicle you need. You, you, you think money just grows on trees? It's a tool. Amen. 
So we have this very toxic and confusing view of money, and I'm going to give you guys a verse to kind of glue it all together. When it comes to your um, financial plan, when it comes to your hope for what you're doing, this is James chapter uh, 4, verse 13. So this is in context, verse 13. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, as it is, you're, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. Okay, and then here's the caveat to all of this. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Hmm. You don't know how the market is going to go. You don't know how the housing prices are going to come out. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Okay. So what you should say is, Hey, I'm going to live and honor God with my time, talent, and treasure to the best of my ability. And I'm, I don't control all those variables, right? I don't control those variables. So be humble in that. But I think the key, I think the caveat that he gives here is if you know, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. If you know, because I'm telling you, if you know that if you put your money and you invest it and you don't just consume everything, that you actually save, that you get out of debt, that you start investing, if you know that that's going to generate a return for you, and you don't do that because of whatever weird, toxic, limited thinking you have, whatever terrible poverty gospel you've heard, fam, that is not okay. That is not what Matthew chapter 25 says is okay. That is not what Proverbs 6 says is okay. Okay, so I did a little experiment for you guys. So I don't know if you guys have ever heard of the rule of 72. Okay, the rule of 72 is how interest works. It's how compound interest works. And it's important that you, you have a grasp of this so that you know how these things work. The rule of 72 goes like this. If, if you know the interest rate of something, you take it and you, and you divide it by 72. That will give you the answer of how long it'll take your money to double. Okay? So, right now, the market grows by approximately 10 to 12%. Okay? So, the rule of 72, if we divide 12%, if we divide 12%, just follow along for a second. I wish I had this written down, but if, you, if we divide 12% into 72, okay, that means that every six years, your money will double. Think about that for a second. Every six years, your money will double. So, that $100 pair of Jordans that you wanted, okay, that $100 pair of Jordans, just, just follow along with me, in six years, is going to be worth $200. In 12 years, it's going to be worth $400. In 18 years, it's going to be worth $800. In 24 years, it's going to be worth $1,600. In 30 years, it's going to be worth $3,200. And this is where it gets interesting. In 36 years, it's going to be worth $6,400. In 42 years, is going to be worth $12,800. And in 48 years, it's going to be worth $25,000 thousand six hundred dollars so 
how old are you right now? Some of you guys are watching this, you're 18, okay? So if you're 18 plus 48, okay, when you're 66, just you're 18, you take $100 and you just park it, S&P 500. Robinhood, S&P 500, there's a link to sign up for Robinhood if you're not signed up, S&P 500. Just take that $100, boom, I'm gonna park it into uh, 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 S&P 500 uh, index fund, boom. That's gonna sit there, okay? That, that money in 48 years will be $25,600. That's just $100. That's just $100. And this is the part why I believe it's a sin of omission for many of us. Do you hear me loud and clear? Sins of commission is when you break the commands of God. You're just being reckless. You know you shouldn't look at porn. You look at porn anyway, right? That's a sin of commission. You know you shouldn't lie. You lie of anything. You lie anyway. You're breaking things. You're breaking commandments of God. It's a sin of commission. A sin of omission is when you know the standard and the expectation and the possibility and you fall short of it. You don't do something you should do. This is called opportunity cost. That $100 in 48 years turns into $25,000. Okay? Now, keep up with inflation. May that, yes, that, that will turn into probably you could cut that in half. Okay. So that'll probably feel closer to $10,000. Nevertheless, it's adjusting for inflation. We're going to adjust for inflation. I'm not going to be like, adjust inflation. I think it's a thing. Nevertheless, that's still $10,000. That $100 is costing you $10,000 with inflation. So you mean to tell me when you're 66 years old and you're retiring and for every pair of Jordans you bought, you could have put that money in an index fund. And I'm just talking about that's a one-time contribution. We're not talking about consistently giving $100 because those numbers are in the millions. We're just talking about that one pair of Jordans turns into 25 grand, adjusted for inflation, fine, we'll call it 10. You mean to tell me that you think that Jesus is okay based on everything we've read and you not getting out of debt, you not having a plan for your money, and you just kind of willy-nilly floating through life like a butterfly, buying whatever you want, doing whatever you want, consuming whatever you want. You mean to tell me that that's the heart of God for you? Now, if you want to have some real fun, uh, uh, adjust that number for what $100 a, 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 a month looks like. Let's do it together, why don't we? Calculate. It's $3,465,000. At $100 a month, $3,465,000, you know, chop, chop, chop 60% of that to inflation, okay? That's still a million point five that you didn't have, okay? It's still a million point five that you didn't have. What's the alternative? You're going to float through life and then be 65 years old and expect the government to take care of you? Really? You think that's a good idea, okay? And this is just like planning for retirement. By the way, I put my money in a QQQ, the QQQ, I'm not a financial advisor. I put my money in a QQQ and my money in the QQQ right now on Robinhood generates me, Let's. I'll give you guys the percentage, 56%. It's a bull market right now. So I, I would argue that if you have the opportunity to invest, if you have the opportunity to save, if you have the opportunity to be on a budget, which most of you do, some of you guys are disabled, some of you guys are on fixed income, some of you got, right? If, you, if you're able-bodied and if you're of sound mind, friends, I would argue that it is the Christian's moral obligation to do so. 
that it, it, it is your moral obligation to do so. If you can build a seven-figure net worth without it mastering you, hear me loud and clear. If you can build a seven-figure net worth without it mastering you, without it ruining your life by investing $100 a month, okay, you should absolutely do that. I would argue that it is our moral obligation to care for the least of these. That might be offensive to some of you. That might be very challenging to some of you. That might be very, just makes you uncomfortable when I say things like, you need to get out of debt, you need to get on a budget, you need to save for a rainy day, and you need to invest. So those are my thoughts on this entire conversation. Let me know what y'all think about it. Kingstream Entertainment, Bruce Lawn. If you found this video valuable, make sure to give it a like and a thumbs up, subscription, all that kind of stuff. But we have a master YouTube live free three-day training coming up in the description below. If you're looking to get into the YouTube space, if you're an expert, a thought leader, an entrepreneur, you're considering jumping on YouTube, make sure you hit the link in the description and sign up for our free three-day challenge. Peace.